My plan was to dive into part two of my End of Melody episode, but by chance I rolled the dice and came up with something completely different. Unplanned, but fated to be this way? Possibly. Stay tuned. First this. If you're a composer or philosopher and you believe in determinism, that is, things are fated to be, then I suppose you will believe firmly that once you've written something down and perfected it, it was fated to be that way and could be no other way. That was not written down, so I suppose it wasn't fated to be. Fated to be. Sounds like a dying Shakespeare quote. Fated to be. I'm going to get back to the second episode of The End of Melody, but as I was researching it, I realized there was a lot that had to go into it, and a lot I had to think about before I dove in and improvised in a semi-deterministic manner, as opposed to what I'm doing now, which is intermittently indeterminate. What's the difference? Well, there are composers like Witold Ludoslawski, who died maybe five, eight years ago, Polish composer from the 20th century, who wrote in a kind of modified aleatoric style. What does that mean? Aleatoric refers to chance, using chance principles, leaving things to chance. Now, it could be said that he combined the strict serialism of the Schoenberg school, the 12-tone dodecaphonic school, with the chance principles as espoused by John Cage. could be said that. If you listen to his music, it, it is quite interesting. And I know that's a dangerous word in music. It's interesting, meaning, do you actually like it? It's interesting, but I don't really like it. No, I do like quite a bit of Ludoslawski's work because it does have a feel of a kind of planned chance. Planned chance. Now, of course, that seems like a contradiction in terms. How do you go about planning chance, planning surprise. Well, you prepare. You write your scores in such a way as they have an overall design to them. A beginning, middle, and end, and real narrative, but leave elements for the players in the ensemble or the orchestra, or even as a soloist. Leave elements for them to decide upon in the moment. And Ludoslawski did this in his orchestral scores, which I've studied 
or did study back in my 20s because I was fascinated by his technique. And he did this by putting sets of notes in boxes. And he would give players in the orchestra the instruction to play this set of notes for approximately 30 seconds. It could be in any order. He could take part of the set and play it. And there was no definitive, usually, rhythm set for that set of notes. You just had this amount of time and you played with it. And other players would have other sets of notes. And the conductor would cue or does cue the player when to start and approximately when to stop. And he does this in a larger design with an intent that the composition moves along in a certain way so that you have a clear opening, a middle, and a clear ending. Does it work? Sometimes it does. Is it interesting? Sometimes it isn't. It can be. So I'm going to do this right now. I'm going to give myself a set of parameters and then go with it. Here we go. I have these four notes. That's C, F, D flat, E flat. And I am to use that and then move that around in various ways in my right hand while the left hand plays chords in fourths. Fourths are the distance between two notes. So the distance between C and F is four notes. One, two, three, four. There's your music theory for the day. And that's it. Those are my parameters. I have one minute. I'm not looking at a clock. Okay, that was a minute or less, I'm thinking. And perhaps you could hear what I did. And just took that set of notes and moved it around, that set of intervals, and then mostly fourths in the left hand. Now, what does that mean? What's the point of that? It's a good question. When improvising, in effect, this is what we do anyway, for the most part. Whether it's free improvisation, which is mostly what I do, or improvisation in the context of a song, like in a jazz group or any other type of group. What you normally do is you take a motif, like I did there, and you mess around with it. It may be the theme of the song. It may be something the last player finished with, as Miles Davis was wont to do when Coltrane finished a solo or Cannonball Adderley. He would take often the last little phrase they played and start with that. So we, d we do this almost intuitively, but when it comes to a larger compositional form or improvisation, like what I was doing there, which was not a larger compositional form or improvisation, it was a shortened version of what could have been a longer improvisation reform. You make these decisions, obviously, in an improvisation in the moment. But once you make them, as I've said before, you're somewhat bound by your 
initial impulses. Now, in this case, I actually said in advance, I'm going to use these four notes and then play this kind of chord in my left hand. But the point of this, this idea of intermittent indeterminism, is that there are many ways you could approach it. I could just decide, I'm going to play an improvisation with these elements. So what I've done effectively is similar to what Ludoslavsky does in his comp or did in his compositions. Set some parameters, give myself a certain amount of time, and go. Now, when you're dealing with ensembles of large orchestras or even smaller groups, the parameters probably have to be, in order to make the music comprehensible, more confined. So if I just said to the entire band of nine people, say, a nonet, is that? If I said to them the same thing, you have these four sets of notes, you, uh, if you're a guitarist or a keyboardist and you play a corded instrument of some kind, you can play fourths. Now, if everybody just did that, it would probably still end up in some kind of chaos. I don't know. I don't think I've tried precisely that in a group. And now there are, we don't perform with people anymore. But what I have done with my old group, the Revolution Ensemble, uh, back in the 1990s, is I have a compositional form in mind. I tell the player at this point, you know, the drummer, you're going to play this kind of groove. The bass player, you have this set of chords or whatever. And, and I have this and the sax player is this and so on. I've done those kinds of things. And it can work if you have the right players, sensitive players, and also great players. But, of course, it could still end up in chaos. Let's try another one. I'm going to play exactly two chords. An A minor and an F minor 7. Now, they're connected, for those of you who are theoretically inclined, they share one note. And then the other notes are move kind of chromatically for the most part. Anyway, you don't want to know that. That's the two chords that I could use. Melodically speaking, my rule here is I have to mix between something very lyrical, singable, and a bunch of filigree, meaning stuff you couldn't sing but you can play on any given instrument. In this case, of course, the piano. So here we go. Now, let me just further state that those chords can be in different positions, like... Or... So I, I don't have to be limited to just that position. Chords, again, a little bit of theory. Chords can be played in multiple positions. The same chord can be inverted and so forth and played in different parts of the instrument and so on. So there's my stipulation. Two chords alternate between lyrical and filigree, whatever that may be.
I kind of broke the rule, mostly because I didn't actually set the rule. Uh, I started to play a little bit of thematic material I came up with. I started to do a little bit in my left hand with the chords, so I'm thinking, ah, I shouldn't be doing that. I'm just supposed to be playing the two chords. And then I'm thinking, well, who said? Well, I said. So I'm having an argument with myself, and I start making voluminous mistakes. Uh, Okay, now, for me, what's interesting in doing this little exercise in intermittent indeterminacy is that fundamentally it feels exactly like every other kind of improvisation I do. Maybe a little bit more focused in that I've actually told myself in advance, you can only do this. But what I find is that even when I don't tell myself, when I don't give myself those parameters and instructions, I still basically do that because to compose and to improvise is naturally, fundamentally, when you sit down to do them, you are automatically going to put limits on what you do. Otherwise, you go crazy. I mean, if you just say, okay, this improvisation or this composition, I can do whatever I want. There are no limits. It will just go on for however long and so on. Obviously, we don't do that because we're not infinite, are we? So in conclusion, I'm going to go all out and combine the two semi-planned improvisations from earlier. The two concepts were, in the first one, I stipulated that I use a four-note cell of notes in the right hand and fourths in the left hand. And in the second improvisation, I stipulated that I'm going to go between two chords, the A minor and the F minor 7, and in the right hand, do something lyrical, something like that, alternating with filigree, whoever that is. So this kind of complicates the chant elements. Does it make for a more interesting, complicated piece of improvisation, planned chants, or does it just get to the point where that's too much thinking? Here we go. Thank you. 